Angie's List is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is, and it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. This is the Straight Up Breakdown Podcast. Exclusively on the Herd App Media Network. Tell it to me straight up. Hello, and welcome in to the Straight Up Breakdown Podcast, proudly part of the Hale Varsity Network. I am Greg Smith. You are, I am very deep into training for this 10K friend. Uh, today, I am joined by Hale Varsity Managing Editor and host of the I-80 Preview Podcast, Brandon Vogel. Brandon, thank you so much for being on the show this morning. How are you? I'm doing well. Um, it's been a strange off-season. <laughs> Excuse me. But I did still wake up on Monday with a little bouncing my step because new football season is here uh we'll see how long that enthusiasm lasts (laughs) should last pretty long i kind of love college football and in all of its forms but doing well yeah it's it's interesting i do have the same like excitement like i'm I'm always excited for a new season um on our end it's always kind of a hectic time just because we're running around doing a million things and you're trying to get everything done um that you want to accomplish like content wise but it is still at the end of the day, it's still fun. Um, ask my wife, it is not as much fun. Um, it's like we're on our morning walk this morning. And I was like, so are you excited for football season to be back? And she's like, if it never came back, I'd be okay. Like, <laughs> it would be totally fine. But yeah, she did say, I, she did say, I'll see you in January. That was her kind of parting words on that. Yeah, well, at least she she knows the score, I guess, at this point. I certainly understand where you're coming from there. It's, uh, <laughs> it's kind of like, bye, uh, I'll, I'll be around somewhat. Yeah, it, and, it, and it's always, you just drop right in. Like, it doesn't feel yeah. like, it, I talk with my dad about this all the time. Like, it feels like in this year, it's actually Nebraska for once, where it feels like that first college football game just sneaks up on you. Now, <laughs> this time, it just happens to be Nebraska in week zero. Um, but it always just sneaks up on you no matter how much you prepare for it, which is both good and bad. Yeah, literally the first college football game of the season uh, in terms of kickoff times. Fresno State and UConn will get going about an hour after Nebraska, but I don't expect a lot of people to be flipping over from uh, Huskers (laughs) Illini to to Fresno State, Connecticut. Although Connecticut hasn't played in a year, so maybe interest will be high to see the Huskies. (laughs) <laughs> maybe i will see i, I tend to agree <laughs> with you there there'll be a lot of eyeballs on that nebraska game um and we're going to kind of start there though is then each week uh we have a couple of segments on the show obviously that are mainstays the first one is called coach speak where we go over something that a coach player or a talking head said and then we give you the straight up breakdown of what they meant coach speak to real talk um everything's gonna kind of have a nebraska preview slant uh for this week's episode as we get the season started so this week comes courtesy of Nebraska offensive line coach Greg Austin. Now, Austin had this to say when talking about his feelings uh, last week about the run game heading into 2021. Quote, I'm excited. I'm really excited. I'm, I'm really excited to showcase it. I want our guys to be confident. I want our backs to be confident in the holes. I want those guys to be confident in the systems and schemes. And I want our guys to be going full speed. I want us to attack folks. That's the mindset. We've got to attack people downhill. In this conference, the people that win are the people that can run the football consistently. End quote. Brandon, what does that mean? 
Um, it's an interesting one because <clears throat> I don't know about you, but I think it was Lubick who mentioned it first, and then Frost said it at some point later in fall camp. Uh, when he met, they both mentioned that Nebraska was second in rushing in the Big Ten. And my gut reaction was like, no, that can't be right. And I mean, and I look at stats a lot. Um, right. <laughs> and, it, and it was right based on yards per game, yards per play. And I talked about this a little bit on the offense uh, portion of the IE preview, getting ready for the season. But like Nebraska's run game statistically was better than I anticipated it than I remembered, than my impression of the Nebraska run game. So Austin's words there were particularly interesting to me, talking about attack. It needs to be a weapon. Um, you know, I think it, he also talked, to, I think it was that same day, about the running backs they have and, and you know, being one-cut running backs and, and the kind of guys who can who can make a decision and go. I, I think that attack part of it is key because looking at Nebraska statistically, from a run perspective, pretty good. But why didn't it feel that way? Like we know Adrian Martinez can hurt you. And, and Dedrick Mills, his numbers were, when you dug into them, a little better than I remembered. But it just didn't feel to me like Nebraska last year was going to just run the ball at you and good luck trying to stop it. Can they get there now? I think Austin, and you know, classic for an O-line coach to be this way, <laughs> right. like wants to get him there. And yeah, running the ball is... Uh, is kind of a tried and true way to win football games for all of time. So for that one, you know, the attack was the part that jumped out to me. Um, and I think that is kind of where they want to get to. Yeah. And you know what, the reason that I feel like, and I have thought about this because I'm with you completely. Like when you look at the stats, they were better running the football in totality than you think. But it does not feel that way. And I think the reason is, is because of the thing that has been such a dominant storyline this offseason, which is they've got to get rushing yards and production out of the running backs. Right. And so I think because it was it feels like it was so hev heavily quarterback slanted last year. And that feels like something that you can't necessarily always count on. So therefore, you feel like it was worse than it actually was. And I think that that's why we've heard so much about now it's, it's it's two parts we have heard so much about the running back um and getting pre and getting production from the running backs in, for a couple of reasons one because it needs to happen two because it's like the most high profile position battle that they have in fall camp right now right and so that kind of both of those things play into that but i really think that that's why it's because that when you dig into the numbers and see that it was better than expected it's not also in tandem with, oh, yeah, the running back production was better than I thought. And I think that that's how we kind of get there. Yeah, I, I, I would agree because you really the, the running backs last year were, were, were Mills and then Wandale Robinson when they needed somebody else. You know, Marvin Scott got a little bit here. Ramir Johnson got going a little bit in the Iowa game. Um, but you just now you look at three guys, it seems to kind of ascended to the top of that race for Nebraska. And can those guys consistently produce? I also think some of kind of the cognitive dis dissonance I'm having with the run game in last year might might have had to do with the shortened schedule and conference only. Like if Mills goes for 125 yards last year against Central Michigan or something, and you know, and that happens early in the season, maybe it, you're kind of gearing yourself up because then you're reading for the next week and a half about oh, Nebraska's run game is really kind of a strength at this point whether or not that was fool's gold or not it just would have changed that a little bit for me um 
because yeah, I my memory of Nebraska's run game was like, okay, yeah, it was the best thing they did. It was better than the passing game, which you know there was really no downfield passing game whatsoever. But I, I I give a lot of that credit to the quarterbacks, particularly Martinez, even though Luke McCaffrey was in there too. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that, you know, a part of trying to then figure out how they get better there um, is, is really interesting to me, too, because I think it has to do with the person we started talking about from the quote with Greg Austin and his unit. I think that, to me, one of the big overall keys for this offense is if that offensive line takes a step, steps forward, that we kind of think they can based on their potential. I think that unlocks all sorts of things for this offense um, and especially that run game. But I think that like being able to see, and I think that this is also part of why that cognitive dissonance happens is that this offensive rushing attack thus far, uh, like with Scott Frost at Nebraska has not looked anything like the rushing attacks that you've come accustomed to seeing from this offense, right? This offense typically produces what you kind of think you might get this year, where you have a couple of running backs that are really producing at at least a pretty good level. Like the absence of that has been jarring. And I think that that's kind of where some of this comes from, comes from too, is that if you can get to that, like if you say the three guys, those three main guys um, are carrying the ball and they're effective and they're able to take pressure off of Martinez. And then Martinez is able to sprinkle in his rushing ability. And th- that then looks a lot closer to what you hoped it was coming in. And by the way, it makes the offense better and more dangerous as a result too. Yeah, absolutely. If Nebraska can get to a point where Adrian Martinez Martinez's runs are just kind of the, the cherry on top here and not the vanilla ice cream. Um, they'd be in a, they'd be in a much better spot. And I agree with you. I think that particularly with this running back group, so young overall, uh, you, you've got Gabe Irvin, true freshman, Savion Morrison here last year, but didn't play. And, and then step as kind of our top three. And, you know, he played at USC. He didn't play a ton of games because he was hurt. Um, so it's, it's kind of an inexperienced group. If you can get to a point where Nebraska's offensive line is just staying on blocks and is kind of a force that I think their ceiling has them at, I don't know how close they'll be to that ceiling, you know, certainly out of the gate, but even at the end of the year, um, that's kind of what you need, I think, for this group of running backs. So, so we'll see. You're right. I, I think that you look at those Oregon offenses in particular um, where Frost is VOC and, you know, they'd cycle in two, three running backs and, you know, yeah, you're their top guys going for like 1400 yards because they were gaining like a million yards every right. year. Um, so many yards. But, yeah. I, the thing that Nebraska really lacks, I think, is those kind of core, core runs, those three or four that they're just like, yeah, we can hand it to the running back. And we know we're gonna we're gonna consistently have success with that. I mean, that was Oregon, and, and you know, I'm not a huge scheme guy. I should probably not even talk about it. But you know, they were pretty like inside outside zone. Like they just ran that a lot. Mm-hmm. They could block it, and they had the running backs who could read it and and you know get yards and chunks that way. Nebraska hasn't had those running plays yet. Maybe in 2018, but really the past two seasons, that's been a serious lack. I wonder, and my wheels are turning a little bit on that because I wonder if. 
with Austin talking also at that same press conference, like you mentioned about the one cut running backs, and you know what you hear so much about with, say, Savion Morrison, his vision. You hear that some with Gabe Irvin as well, especially as a young guy. I wonder if that means that you will see some improvement there on those inside-outside zone runs because those are staples of the offense. Like, like I think that just studying their scheme enough tells you that those are staples. The problem is, is that they haven't been good at that, but if you just go back and think through in your mind about their most impactful run plays as an offense at Nebraska, it really has been that QB dart play where the offensive guard pulls out in front of Adrian Martinez, he reads it, and then he makes a cut and goes off of that. Like that's been their staple run. And while that can be a weapon, <laughs> it, doesn't, it cannot be the number one go-to run, which it definitely has been over the last few years. Absolutely it has. You know, uh, you think about Nebraska inside sort of the 15 or the 10, like you're getting, you're getting QB, QB draw or, you know, QB ISO, whatever they, they term it. You know, it's, it's a designed run for, for Adrian Martinez up the middle. Um, and it's just like, when I try to think of kind of these past two years of, okay, what are Nebraska's like pet running plays? They almost all involve the quarterback. Right. And I think that's something they're going to, you know, if things go well uh, for Nebraska in 2021, that will be, that will be less the case. We have this conversation next year. We will be talking about different run plays if things go well for Nebraska. <laughs> right. That is 100% correct. And we, we, if things have gone well, we're talking, we have figured out what those run plays are <laughs> with the running back, um, which would be a great thing for Nebraska overall because it, it's desperately needed. Now, one of the things too, and we've seen, obviously, we write about it and are in it every day. Um, and so we have been inundated with all of the fall camp talk, right? And we've seen all of the stuff. We've read a ton of stuff. We've done our own previews, all of that, right? So my question for you as we, as we kind of shift gears here is, have you seen anything this fall or heard anything really mostly um, from this fall camp that has changed what you thought about this team overall heading into the 2021 season, either one way or the other? Let's break that down. Yeah, um, unfortunately, <laughs> to the to the bad side of the spectrum, it's not anything that I've heard from ball camp, but just the like NCA investigation, which we don't need to get into all that. It's been talked about plenty. Like the infractions themselves are not a big deal. But Nebraska having to deal with it is the thing that gives me a little bit of pause. You know, up to that point, all of fall camp, you know, felt pretty optimistic. And, you know, <laughs> the scale for a fall camp is is not balanced. Like, it always trends towards, <laughs> towards optimism. But you were hearing good things. And, you know, going all the way back to Big Ten Media Days last month, uh, you know, it was a, kind of a different demeanor. It was less brash, more like – we understand we just want to get some results and that's what we're going to try and go out and do. Um, the, the whole thing about that kind of changed, changed that for me, just having to deal with a distraction um, at, at this stage. And that's, that's all it's going to be. Like, I don't expect anything, you know, Nebraska's NCA is not going to finish their investigation anytime quickly. We're not going to know anything about that for right. a while. It's just there. And does it change the demeanor of the coaches? In, in some ways, though, it's kind of a good test um, with, you know, no game stakes on the line. Because one of the things with Nebraska of, of these past three years is it's been very easily derailed. So can they not do that? Um, if they come out and play really well against Illinois, maybe it's a, a sign of a little bit of growth on that front. I mean, I know 
based on what the coaches said, based on what the players said, my expectation was for growth. I expected them to be a little bit further along in a lot of those areas. So unfortunately, like, and I think some of this too is the, the defense have a pretty good idea, I think, of what they're going to be. Um, the offense, if some of the young talent or just new talent at the skill positions really pops, can be pretty good. So I kind of hate to be this way here starting a new season, but yeah, that's kind of it. I was like, eh, things seem to be on a pretty good path. And now we've got a little bit of a detour just dealing with the distraction of an NCAA investigation. Yeah, and it, it's, it's really funny. We did not talk about this ahead of time. This is w- exactly where my mind went to, though. And it, and it's too, it's kind of, it's both that and there's another situation, too, I'll get to as well, is that I, the distraction piece of it is what, is what concerns me. I don't think, and I think this is fair, that Nebraska has dealt with outside distractions well over the course of Scott Frost's tenure. And I think, and it kind of goes into adversity. Like they have not bounced back from adversity well. They haven't dealt with it well. And I think it's a very intangible thing, but it has been to me what's really held Nebraska back. And we can talk about all sorts of different things that have kept them from winning games. I think a lot of it boils down to, can Nebraska be a resilient football team? And it's not just the team. And I like that you said, that Nebraska's coaches being able to handle this. I think that that's a part of it too. And I think it's something that doesn't ever really get talked about. And I think it's something that is extremely important for this program is that how does, and mostly Scott Frost handle these sorts of things and how does he then project that to the team? Because there has to be some sort of connection there between how he handles these things as the head coach and how that trickles down to then the assistants and then throughout the team, right? And I think that that's something that has just not gone well over the course of these few years. Um, And so I I agree with you completely that this does then become some sort of a nice little test for them. Can they block all of this out, deal with the adversity, and then come out of the other side ready to roll against Illinois the same way that I think they were heading towards before all of this kind of came up and became public? Now, of course, they knew about it ahead of time and they said that in that joint press conference with frost and trev alberts which is could be its own separate podcast about how that thing went uh, but we won't go there now like it, i think even though they knew it's still different once it comes out in public now there's another thing that as we get closer to the game against illinois that has really been on my mind and i'm also curious your thoughts on this too is that Nebraska, think about the amount of times after games um, under Frost that Nebraska has said the, in some way or fashion, hey, we were kind of caught off guard by what we saw in this game, right? That concerns me. And the reason that concerns me is we're getting basically an entire new team of could possibly be caught off guard because we've got a new staff at Illinois. The, the closer we get to that game, the more concerned I get about that. And you start to hear people talk about it and you're starting to hear players say, you know, the preparation is a little bit weird and it's difficult because we just don't know what to watch. And we we have to watch all of this film. You've heard some coaches um, talk about it too. I I don't know what the disconnect is there, but Nebraska's had a problem with that (laughs) and trying to figure that out just with 
teams that have run the same stuff for years when you talk about the Iowa's and Wisconsin's of the world right and so now doing that against Illinois who who knows what you're going to get you kind of think you know with a Brett Bielema team but you just never know until you see it um that has concerned me as we get closer to the game yeah I think it's I think it's a big piece of it and I think particularly early on on Saturday like I'm expecting, you know, Illinois to hit some big plays and for it to take Nebraska's defense to get a little bit, a little bit of time to get its footing because it's all really going to be brand new, which isn't a good recipe when you're the only game on TV for the first hour and all right. of college football is, you know, uh, college football's like second sport is, is jumping to conclusions too early. So oh, yeah. it's going to, it's going to be rampant. On, on Saturday, if Illinois, you know, hits a 60 yard touchdown pass on its first possession, uh, I'm kind of, I'm like, it wouldn't, that wouldn't surprise me. So we, Brett Bielema, you would have thought, be like, okay, well, we get what they're going to do. Like, you know, it's going to be kind of classic corn fed man ball. But that wasn't what he hired in terms of an offensive coordinator. He went out and got, you know, a fairly young offensive coordinator who was at App State for a year and was at Missouri before that, his defensive coordinator is also young and viewed as kind of an up-and-comer in the coaching ranks, who was is also coming from Missouri. Um, so we'll see. It, Illinois also, I think, I was looking through their media guide over the weekend, had like nine guys switch positions. Which, yeah, I do know, feel like that came up a lot over this offseason. <laughs> which which was which is kind of kind of bizarre. You like um I'm forgetting the backup quarterback's name from the uh, past Isaiah year. Williams. Isaiah Williams. Yes. Thank you. He, he moved to wide receiver. Um, they moved to one of their best DBs to wide receiver. So like, it's clear that they kind of showed up and be like, oh, we've got some talent here. They're just in the wrong spots. Um, they have a wide receiver slash kicker who is now just a kicker. So <laughs> um, keep an eye on, on that. But I, it was just weird to like read through that and be like, wow, they're really, really moving the furniture around here. And Nebraska, it can go back and watch tape of those coordinators at their previous spots, but we don't really know what Illinois is going to do on Saturday. And I expect it to look that way, at least early on. Yeah, so do I. And I think that this, it continues, though, also to go back to one of, I think, the biggest points of the entire season, which is Nebraska taking care of Nebraska and figuring out how to clean up their own house, right? And so on, on one hand, yes, Nebraska is going to see some a lot of things, I think, this weekend that they have not seen or it's hard to prepare for or they're going to have to adjust in game two. That's kind of a given, right? But can Nebraska, along the way of that, also not be out there getting in their own way? So can we not have, uh, for their purposes, the, you know, um, delay of games to start a drive? Can you not have the backwards fumble passes, the, the just complete missed blocks or the missed assignments on defense, all of that sort of stuff? Because those are the things also that can help them kind of weather an early storm, so to speak, if they're getting their footing with trying to figure out what they're seeing, right? And I think that that's how you end up going from instead of, hey, Illinois maybe hit a 60-yard touchdown pass in that first drive, but they rallied, Nebraska did, to, like, overcome that. And, oh, all of a sudden, it's 17-3 to and you're down. Like, those, that's how you get the difference in that is whether or not you can take care of yourself as well along the way. Like, it'll just be really interesting. I think that the, the 
more I think about this game, the closer we get to it, the more intriguing it gets to me on just a number of, of aspects because I don't, I don't necessarily get the sense that the fan base feels that it's this intriguing instead of thinking Nebraska should just go blow Illinois out. I still think that that's the overarching feeling in the fan base is that this is the start of a launching point for Nebraska by going out and blowing them out, not that they've got a lot of stuff to figure out on the fly. Yeah, uh, I, I would I would agree with that. I mean, the line for this game as of this weekend was a touchdown for Nebraska, um, which feels a little bit low. But again, it's it's the first game of the year. You know, you're projecting all of that based on what teams return, what they've done in the past, which is, you know, where you start for any team. It's where you start for Alabama. Um but it's just, you know, these week ones or week zero in this case can be pretty messy. And like, you know, we've talked and others have talked about how the stakes feel really high for this game, not just because it's a conference game to start the season, but also like, well, you know, it's a road game. What if you don't win? Like, what's the the mood of the fan base going to be like? And all that stuff's real, too. Mm-hmm. But also kind of the last two points we were just talking about come together so you know there have been games in the past minnesota in 2019 like leaps off the pages of that where post game they're talking about yeah yeah they really schemed this for us and we weren't ready um so you're gonna have that because there's very little scheme to get ready for combined with nebraska's tendency of late to be fragile like the start to that illinois game last year was as bad as it could be for a team that has those tendencies um and you know, just talking about like it wouldn't wouldn't surprise me if Illinois starts pretty fast. Like this game is going to be it's important for the state of the program. Yes, it's important to win always. It's important because it's a conference game, but it's also important because it kind of tests Nebraska in a couple of spots where it hasn't been great for the last three years. Yeah, absolutely. And that kind of, you know, it's interesting because with the importance of the game, I I hope, and and I don't know how you feel about this, and I know that Scott Frost tends to say, you know, nameless, faceless opponent, like we prepare for everyone the same, like we're not getting up for any one opponent, like any more than another. I actually wish that like, go in and we record this on a Monday, so later on this morning, we'll be probably going down to the stadium and hearing kind of the, the first Monday press conference, and then we'll have one on Tuesday. I hope we hear urgency from the team. Like, I think that that would be a sign, like in in terms of wanting to see signs of growth and hoping that that growth that we talked about ends up coming out on Saturday. I don't know if it actually has a correlation. I just feel like it does. Like, I feel like people actually speaking as if there's urgency lends to you having urgency when it actually matters. Like, what, what do you feel about that? Yeah, that's that's an interesting one. I I feel like nameless, faceless opponent is the ultimate goal. Like Nebraska's not there yet. Like I haven't felt that way based on how it's played. Not talking about pregame stuff or like practice stuff right. leading up to those games. Just talking about how they played. Like I don't. I've not. I've not gotten the sense that Nebraska views Illinois the same way it does Wisconsin and teams like Wisconsin and Iowa. Uh, are in that nameless, faceless category already. Like they're just going to come out and do their stuff. Yeah, it's they up do to what you they to do. try and. <laughs> yep, they're going to. It's up to you to try and stop it. And Nebraska hasn't been there, so I so I agree with you. If this week, you know, we've got players being like, 
I hate Illinois. They're my least favorite team. Even if it's not true, right. I'll, I'll kind of take it as, um, you know, as, as a good sign. It's like, yeah, you know, nameless, faceless is where we're going. But for right now, it's like, we just got to win this one game. Um, and we do that. And then next week, uh, we're going to, Fordham's going to be my least favorite team, which would be interesting because I'm going to guess, I mean, college football at large doesn't know about much about Fordham football. Uh, I'm going to guess it's not something the, the players encounter on a regular basis. Right. Yeah, I would guess so too. Plus the other thing too, I would actually like to hear another, we got to think about this is I, if someone said like Jojo Doman gets out there today and says, you know, I watched that Illinois game last year, not because they're doing the same stuff, but because I think that was a low point for us. And it's a motivating factor to do better. Like, I think that that would be a good thing. Like I, and I, like, I just think that sometimes embracing those things on the way to the nameless faces opponent thing is okay. Like, I think that's totally fine to do that. There's a reason why it happens all across sports, right? Like, like teams do this all the time. And I think that it has, it has to have some sort of effect uh, positively. And, and I'm with you, like, that, like, that's the ultimate goal. But I just think that on the way there, you need to switch things up too, because you obviously have had enough evidence to this point that that's not how the team behaves. Um, and so maybe it needs to do something a little bit different as you try to take a, a step as a program. Yeah, the, the nameless, faceless thing is, is awesome and great. And it's kind of football at its core, I think, when you execute yourself. And Nebraska has done that to very to varying degrees over the past three seasons and not a degree high enough for the win total to be where anyone wants it. So, you know, it's it's kind of I got to see that execution before I'm totally ready to jump on the the nameless faceless part of it, um, because that's that's where you want to be. Um, I just can't put what Nebraska's put on the field in that category yet. Right. So, okay. So now I want to, I did not prep you for this. So I'm going to, we're going to do this off the cuff. We're going to do a fill in the blank here to wrap kind of our season preview portion of this. And Nebraska will, will get closer to expectations this season. If blank. They find big plays in the passing game. Um, (laughs) I I, I look, I I always try and look at kind of like every angle and piece together this big thing and be like, okay, here's where this team had been. Um, Here's probably what they need to advance. And I I keep coming back to that one. There's, I won't go into like a litany of numbers here, but it's, it's really shocking when you boil down what last year looked like. One, how little Nebraska like really went for those plays in the passing game. And then it's just inability to hit them. Like if you can add that to simply a similar rushing offense that Nebraska had last year, um, get a few shorter scoring drives and the defense, which, you know, you would project to be a little bit better just based on how much they return. But even if it's just in the same neighborhood as last year, I think that's how Nebraska goes from say six and six, seven and five to talking about eight wins. Like if they can consistently get some of those big plays in the passing game, uh, it'll, I don't want to say it'll change this offense. It'll just make it look a lot better, um, which, you know, t- to go back to kind of where we started, might have tied into the run run game part of it too. You know, right. if you're getting five yards every every run or four and a half, um, 
that should feel pretty good. But when your passes are a lot of swing passes, you know, bubble screens, that sort of stuff, you're not really hitting those shots downfield. You think about the Nebraska options offenses of old or even option offenses today. That's a defining characteristic of them. They, they run, run, run. They consistently gain yards on the ground. And then when a defense is kind of geared up for it, then they hit you over the top of the pass and the passing numbers are huge, not in terms of the number of attempts, but right. yardage wise. Nebraska is not an option offense, but if its numbers look that way, uh, it would be in a pretty good spot. And it's funny because that I go kind of, it's not the opposite of what you said, but it is the complement of that. If, if Nebraska can, they will exceed expectations if they can consistently rush the football at that four and a half, five yards um, a clip to where you're accustomed to seeing this offense be at. Because I think that to me, that's the thing that unlocks and makes everything else easier. Because I think that if, if teams have to, just picturing this in your mind, if teams have to respect the rushing attack of Nebraska from the running backs and the wide receivers are close to as good as people think they can be, and Matt Lubick certainly thinks they can be based on how he's talked about them, right? like especially considering their depth and I do think I do agree with him I think that that depth is really good outside but it can only take you so far if you're not able to rush the football right and so if Nebraska can do that and then you get to a situation where okay Toure is working in the slot but you can't really devote that much attention to him and he's able to really get mismatches uh, against safeties and linebackers but oh by the way Oliver Martin who is really athletic is doing good things on the outside and here comes the x-factor Omar Manning and Xavier Betts is working in there there's only so much a defense can cover that's before we've gotten to the tight ends because here comes Austin Allen right new captain like there's only so much that you can devote out there if the running game is really gashing you and that's why I think that that rushing attack and to bring it full circle to what we started off talking about to me is the key for a lot of what has to happen on offense. Now, I do think if I was going to pick something on defense, I was going to say kind of the, the equivalent to what you said about the passing game. If Nebraska is, is producing turnovers the way that they want to and are designed to on this defense, I think that that then lends into getting those shorter scoring drives. You don't have to go as long. Because I know that you talk about this at nauseum. Nebraska just has to go too long with their scoring drives. Like, it's just too many times where, it, you know, it's the full length of the field that Nebraska has to go. Um, and for a team that has had a tendency to shoot itself in the foot, you're only increasing the rate of that if you have to do it in 12 plays uh, versus four or five, right? Um, and that's just math. So I do think that if they can produce those turnovers, that helps as well. Um, but it, it's just it's such an interesting season overall because you can really there's not we're in this case or this scenario where I don't know if anything would really shock me I guess outside of I don't know, say them going undefeated would completely surprise me <laughs> like that would shock me um, but really if they only lost two games this season like I'd be surprised but I would not be just like floored and think that that's so far outside of the realm of possibilities. But on the flip side, if they, if you told me they only won three that I would be like, okay, I could see how you could get there too. It's just going to be such a fascinating season. Yeah. There's a pretty wide range of potential outcomes at, at, at you know, at the extreme ends of the of the spectrum. And I, I agree with you, you know, if you think about that, it's kind of like a, a 
bell curve. Uh, it's a lot shorter between the widest part of that and <laughs> right. the three and nine side than the 12, the 12, 12 and 0 side. And, you know, that's just based on, on where, where Nebraska has been, um, which it is what it is at this point. Hey, but we got a new season, so maybe, maybe it can change. It's just, it's, it's hard to project. Yeah, it definitely is. Um, and now every week we end the show with a segment called Put Them on Blast, where we basically put someone on blast for something that they did or said. Put them on blast. Um, I'm going to go first this time. And today I'm going to go with random people on Twitter. Now, this will make sense in a second if you have seen what I'm talking about. I don't know if you guys have seen this. I will link it in a couple of them in the show notes. But there's this thing going around called the Milk Crate Challenge. Have you seen this, Brandon? I, I have not. I saw somebody. I saw somebody tweeting about it's only a matter of time before Supreme puts out a milk crate, and now I know it was probably linked to this. Yeah. So basically, what's happening is is there's this like huge amount of videos floating around on Twitter now of people stacking milk crates. It's basically, if I'm picturing it right, it's like three of them, four, five, and it goes up and then goes down the ascending um, way the other way. And the goal is for you to like walk up and then walk back down without falling. As you can imagine, that isn't going well and it is producing some hilarious videos. Now it's hilarious to us because we're not the one busting up ribs, um, but it, it's just crazy to me. And a couple of things come to mind and why these folks have to go on blast. Number one, your insurance better be pretty damn good for you to be out here doing this milk crate challenge. Like it's, it's crazy to me that folks would do this. Um, and, and it's not, you don't get anything. Like this is just, uh, it's like any number of these internet things that have kind of gone around over the years. And there's been plenty of them. Um, is that I just never quite understand what the end goal. Okay, yeah, cool. You do that, then what? Like they give you high fives, like the people that have filmed this and you get a couple Twitter likes, like what are you really getting here? Um, but I really didn't have milk crates making a comeback on my 2021 bingo card because who has these milk crates lying around? Right. Like, that's the other question that I really have. Like, where are they coming from? Well, that's, that's my first question as well, because milk crates are extraordinarily useful and extraordinarily strong, which I suppose is why somebody decided oh, I'm going to try this. Um, but they're hard to get like, right you know, uh, real milk crates anyway, uh, at least they used to, I don't know if they still do, used to have printed on them, like, do not steal this. Um, <laughs> you know, they're, they're valuable. Uh, so yeah, where are all the milk crates? How long before, well, I guess maybe it wouldn't come out or maybe it would be on TikTok and we would all know. Uh, are we gonna have a college football player miss the first week due to, due to a milk crate injury? Gotta worry about that. Um, I'm also, and maybe this is just me being old now, um, but my like my wave for uh, social media trends is very short because I don't get it either. I'm like, OK, like I saw it, it was funny. I saw like 300 other people do it. And now I'm done. Like if you're like the 600 person, you'd be like, right. yeah, this is my version of this thing that everybody else is doing. I'm just I'm not interested in it. But that's where the problem comes in, because when you get to person number 600, you've got to up the ante. I saw one this morning that actually was successful where a woman did it in heels and she actually made it up and down and it was totally fine. I was stunned that she actually made it. Um, but that's the thing is you've now got to kind of ante up here 
and try and do it. And all you're going to do is increase even more the amount of chance, the chance that you're going to go ahead and get injured out here. So all of you have to go on blast for even attempting this. I laughed the first few times, but now you guys have got to stop it. So Brandon, who are you putting on blast this week? Well, I gave you a preview on Slack. Well, I gave our group a preview on Slack over the weekend. I am putting on blast penalty talk as it applies to <laughs> Nebraska. Now, I don't have a problem with specific penalties. You know, if Nebraska comes out and false starts on, on the first drive of the season, yeah, be mad. It's it's maddening and that's dumb and you, there's no no excuse for that. Uh, if you get flagged instead of taking a timeout, coming out of a TV timeout, which we've seen more than once. That's dumb. Don't do that. But saying Nebraska like has to clean up the penalties, it is true for every team. And the thing about it is, is across college football, a team is going to average about six offensive penalties a game. Like that's that's what it is. And then like two-thirds of teams fall between, I think, five and seven, basically which is the range Nebraska's in. Like, they're, they're not better or worse at these penalties than, than anyone else. Now, 2018, I think they averaged like 7.7 .7 per game. So they were a little bit worse that, that first year. Um, but the problem with it is, is we always remember, like, the particularly damaging ones. Right. You know, the false start in the red zone or the holding penalty on – after you picked up a third and seven, they stick out. So I think that's why they keep getting talked about. I'm just saying that statistically speaking, Nebraska's right in range with like most of college football. So saying they need to clean up the penalties. Yeah, they do. Every you know, Alabama needs to clean up the penalties too. It could probably score 55 points a game if it cleaned up its <laughs> penalties. I've just never seen a link between winning and avoiding penalties. They're just kind of one of those things like fumbles that, just happen in football like they're just there they're part of the game so i'm done i've, I've had enough of a penalty talk with nebraska until we at least get some actual games which i guess we will soon enough and then we can talk about <laughs> hopefully not but uh we may be talking about some horrific gaff uh that cost nebraska the game yeah, I, it's funny. I did not, I I did, but I didn't see penalty talk getting put on blast today. That's great. Number one. <laughs> number two. Uh, I do think that this has a lot to do with uh, remembering some of these goofy penalties. I think that if Nebraska, if all they did was clean up the goofy ones, like we're not like because when people say clean up the penalties, they really mean like take it to two penalties a game. That's what people are trying to get to. I don't even think it's that. Honestly, I think it it, it needs to be no more coming out of TV timeouts, getting false starts or delay of games, um, getting delay of games coming like off of a kickoff, like <laughs> those sorts of things. If you just stop that, the very bizarre ones, then I think that they'd be fine. <laughs> they would be totally fine. I really do. You using the term goofy penalties just gave me an idea. Uh, it sent me back to Jake Cotton's uh, famous <laughs> gift gift penalty <laughs> where he got the false start by falling All straight time backwards. classic. I think in honor of that, I think some somebody on the offensive line should do that every year. Just the Jake Cotton <laughs> memorial gift false start penalty and just be like, I mean, I guess this is, you know, against what we're talking about here, where we're talking about Nebraska voluntarily taking but I, I'd do it for the likes. Maybe, maybe that would be the way to loosen things up. 
Like that way, <laughs> now you're playing free, right? No fear, failure, all that stuff that we started out with. Like maybe that's what, that's how you get there. You voluntarily take one to start the year uh, in addition to throwing a screen pass or a swing pass on the very first play of the season. I want, by the way, Scott Frost to troll everyone by doing that on the very first play of the season. How amazing would it be? Nebraska wins the toss against Illinois, takes the ball <laughs> because it takes the ball like 85% of the time. First play, the entire offensive line, Jake Cottons, we just made it a verb, um, <laughs> falls straight backwards, first and 15, run a little bubble screen, and you're staring at probably second 11. It'd be love great. It. I love that. I, I think that that would be perfect, and that is a perfect place to lead this podcast this week. Uh, subscribe to the podcast everywhere that you can listen to them. Rate us and leave us a five-star review. If you only leave us four, I'm inclined to think you're a hater, and nobody wants that. Uh, make sure you're checking out the other podcasts on the Hill Varsity Network, the Mind Your Own Podcast Varsity Club, the I-80 Preview with Brandon Vogel is back, the Nebraska Prep Post Game Show, and the Hill Varsity Radio Show. Uh, also, you can check out the Hill Varsity YouTube page. I will likely be back on there this week with the recruiting question of the week. Um, and you can find us on Twitter at Greg Smith HV and at Brandon L. Vogel. I will catch you guys next week. A Media Production.